from WOUB News, you're listening to The Outlet, where campus meets community. I'm Kayla McCleskey. Each week on The Outlet, we bring you stories from Southeast Ohio. This week on The Outlet, the Athens Municipal Court is asking City Council for money for the court's diversion programs. And Nelsonville tries to solve several governmental issues within their city. These stories and more, right here on The Outlet. A request from the Athens Municipal Court to City Council for funds to pay for the operation of the court's diversion programs has run into some obstacles. The outlet's Jack Green says the situation has not been resolved within Athens City Council. So Kayla, basically what's kind of going on in Council right now is the Municipal Court back in January asked the Council to move the funding for this employee who works in the diversion programs in the Municipal Court over to the General Fund. Now, originally, these were funded through grants, but the court found that they had one of two options, whether to fund one position or to fund the other. But now they've kind of asked council, um, because it is council's job to fund the municipal court under the Ohio Revised Code. So now they're asking council to help fund one of these employees' salaries. But the problem is, is that, that council has asked Judge Todd Grace to come to council or any representative from the court to come talk to council and show the numbers that these diversion programs are showing, like who is doing them, the effectiveness. These diversion programs include like basically if someone were to get arrested for underage drinking, instead of going to jail, they would go through a program where you have classes or you would do community service. So instead of going to jail, you do some other form of some other form of work to basically do your sentence. And so they want to see the numbers, but the court has been unwilling. And last Monday, it was the third time that council has asked for the court to come. And it is the third time that council has not had a representative of the court come. And something important to note is that now they're about to ask for the fourth time. And it's very important that council signs off on this because they don't have to. And if they don't, this diversion program could disappear. So why isn't there a court representative coming to city council meetings? You know, Caleb, that's a very interesting question. There's not really a clear answer why. We've reached out to Todd Grace, to Judge Todd Grace, and haven't really received a response just yet. But he said in an email to Council President Sam Crow that there really just isn't much more information he can provide Council. But Council seems to disagree and says they want these numbers to adequately decide whether this program deserves funding or not. And Council is so upset to the point that Councilmember Salveg Spelnez said it's almost like a slap in the face that the judge has not come in and simply just expressed why it's important for council to do so. So what would happen if this diversion program did not receive their money anytime soon? So if the program didn't receive the money, then there'd just be no way to run it. That could mean more people are facing jail time instead of going to these classes or simply doing community service. So it could mean that there's a shakeup in how some sentences are done. City of Nelsonville experiences changes within their city, including multiple council members resigning, an absence of a city attorney, and more. The outlet's Haley Hollinger has more on how the city plans to solve their situations. While there's been some resignations on council recently, specifically with Greg Smith, who resigned in early February, and in the same week, 
Council President Rita Wynn resigned on a Saturday, and she rescinded her resignation less than 12 hours later. That wasn't accepted by everybody on council. In fact, three council members sent her letters of no confidence in the same email chain. However, she still took her place as president at the next meeting, and those three council members did not recognize her as council president. Uh, They did not say Madam President. They did not say Miss President. Nothing of the sort. They referred to Miss Nancy Sonic as council president throughout that meeting, and it caused quite a bit of turbulence. They were expected to go into executive session during that meeting to discuss other letters of no confidence for Miss Rita Wynn, and unfortunately, they did not go into executive session during that meeting, so those letters of no confidence from two other city departments were read aloud. That also caused a bit of turbulence at that meeting. So half of the council has not accepted her rescindment, and city manager Tom Gangemi actually stated a case, I believe it to be more of a case example than a law opinion, that you cannot rescind your resignation from council. Rescindments have been made in the past on council. A big one was when four council members resigned at the same time early last year. However, that in their words, was a special case because with their resignations, there was no quorum available. They only had three members on council. So the rescindment of those resignations was necessary for council to go about its everyday business. So that is looked at as a special case, but council president Rita Wynn, as well as a couple other members on council, look at that as a precedent that's been set basically saying you can rescind your resignations. So there is no clear-cut answer on that. Ms. Wynn will continue to take her seat as city council president until she is removed. Now, the removal of an official is stated in the charter, and that is in Section 11.08. In Section F of that portion of the charter, it says that council shall request the county prosecutor or his designee to prosecute the removal proceedings before the council and any reviews thereof by the courts. There are other reasons um, that it states to remove an official, but that would be the official process as they would have to go through the prosecutor, which as far as WWB knows, has not been done yet. And because of all of that drama on council this past regular meeting, they were not able to do interviews to fill Greg Smith's seat. So there are still only six people on council at the moment, and they were supposed to do interviews at the last regular session meeting, and they weren't able to do that because tensions were so high. They couldn't even adjourn at that regular meeting this past Monday because tensions were so high. It ended with three council members and the city manager getting up and leaving because they did put a motion to adjourn on the floor that had a second, and that was not respected by the other members on council. They never called roll. So because that motion was not respected, they got up and left, which puts the council in a tight spot because they still haven't done interviews for that open seat. Yeah, it definitely seems like a lot is going on within city council, but what other issues is the city dealing with? They are currently discussing who to use for their 911 dispatch services. They aren't under contract with anyone. I have seen their past contracts. I've gone through their contracts, and they do not have any physical contracts with any services at this time. However, they are paid with Hawking College dispatch services until June 31st. 
that payment is not in contract. It was just a payment they made ahead of time when they did start doing business with Hawking College and using them as a dispatch service. Uh, Unfortunately, there's a long list of incident reports that go along with Hawking College services. I have personally read through those incident reports and some of them are quite severe. There are problems with contacting the officers and giving them the correct information. There's problems with people falling asleep on shift and calls not being transferred to the actual police services and Nelsonville police aren't always getting the information they need. Uh, I also know that there are a couple officers from Nelsonville PD that went to work with Hawking College Dispatch when they weren't working with the police services in order to help alleviate some hiring issues they've had because they don't have enough people on staff at the moment. So you might even see the chief of police taking dispatch calls over there at Hawking College. So they went over there, and as far as I know, those officers are no longer working with Hawking College because they have been let go so as to not create a bigger issue in Hawking College's mind. Uh, That's the best way I can put it at the moment. There will be a police and fire meeting on March 14th to further discuss the procedures they're going to take and how they're going to start looking at new dispatch services. City Manager Tom Kanjemi did meet with the commissioner, the Athens County Commissioner, to talk about changing services. And council stated, some members on council stated, they didn't know about this meeting and they found it to be insulting that they didn't know. There was an article put out after that meeting that also upset council. So his meeting with the Athens County Commissioner to try and fix this issue did not go over well with certain members on council. So while these incidents are still occurring within the relationship between Hawking College Dispatch and Nelsonville Police, there isn't anything being done about it at the moment. They're not switching services at the moment because every time that ordinance hits the table, uh, it usually tabled, which is why it's back in committee uh, for that March 14th police and fire meeting. And through all the actions council has taken in the past week, do they have a city attorney to guide them through it? So technically they do not currently have a city attorney. City manager Tom Kanjemi appointed a city attorney, Jonathan Robe, back in early December. Council has to approve the city attorney that is appointed by the city manager, and Mr. Robe was not approved by council. So there was actually an ordinance on the table to codify his removal, which means it would become law that he was not the city attorney. After the proceedings with Robe were almost finished, council then appointed city attorney Matthew Voltolini. However, they tried to pass this on emergency to immediately have a city attorney, but it didn't pass on emergency because they didn't have enough votes. So it did go through second reading, not as an emergency. So there's a waiting period in Nelsonville instead of a third reading, and that continues after a second reading of an ordinance. So the ordinance to appoint him and hire him as the city attorney did go through because of a four to three vote. But he is not currently on council because of that waiting period. He is not currently the city attorney. And there are a few problems there with Mr. Voltolini. First of all, not everyone on council agrees with the choice of attorney, especially with Mr. Smith off council. It is kind of a 3-3 split. 
on who agrees that Mr. Voltolini should be the council president. That is part of why it couldn't pass on emergency because they didn't have the votes. Second, the city manager has not vetted him. That alone isn't a problem, but Voltolini did lose his license recently and his attorney registration was reinstated on December 4th of 2023. So he did just get his attorney registration back. And from his records that I have seen, that is not the first time his registration has been revoked and reinstated. Emily Stokes, a reporter for The Post, reported on the recent construction of the Athena Cinema. So the Athena Cinema is under partial construction at this point, with two of the theaters being open and one being under construction still. And programming has resumed in the open theaters as well as the ridges while the final theater is being completed. So when did this project start for the cinema and then what is the purpose of this project? So it all started back in the fall semester of this year um, with the complete closure of the building out of caution for people who would be using the building. And it was more of an emergency closure, which is indicated in funding the theater obtained to fix these issues, partially from the emergency fund of the university. And the main goal is to fix some structural problems, more specifically wooden trusses and supports in the roof, and also some pooling on the roof caused by sagging. And something really remarkable I learned about this project after speaking with Simran O'Connor, who's director of conference services at Ohio University and also has a hand in maintenance, was that the construction crews actually worked around the seating, even partially removing some seating in the theater to create scaffolding accessing the roof from the inside. But despite the construction, O'Connor told me that the cinema team has been really flexible with resuming programming both in the new spaces in the ridges, but also during construction in the current open theaters. And then is there a set date for when the construction is supposed to be completed? So that's actually kind of the angle of the story I wrote. Back in fall semester, one of our news writers, Paige Fisher, wrote a story on Athena's full closure. And at the time, we didn't know a lot about the revitalization efforts or even a timeline. But the story I just published gives more context and details since they're further in the construction process. Um, But through reviewing blueprint and construction documents obtained by the Post, the original timeline proposed is being extended Um, And I spoke with Jonathan Kozad, interim associate vice president of design and construction at OU, who told me that with the nature of the building being over 100 years old, um, once they had actually gotten into the roof and examined more clearly what they would need to do, um, they had to extend the closing date for the final theater under construction. But I know they are working to announce a grand opening date, which is something to keep an eye out for. That was Emily Stokes from The Post. This segment is a part of a collaboration between Ohio University's longest-running independent student newspaper and WOUB Public Media. The reporting was done by The Post, and the audio is brought to you by the production team at WOUB. To read Emily's full story, visit thepostathens.com slash specialprojects. Mixed weather conditions are coming to Southeast Ohio for the beginning of March. WOUB lead forecaster Emily Dietz explains how the upcoming weather will change day to day. For sure. Well, we're going to be kicking off the last day of February. Happy Leap Day with a chilly day. It's going to be about 45 degrees. And then as soon as we get into March, you know, we're really feeling like spring. I know I'm really excited for it. We've been talking a lot about the snow, maybe even seeing some snow this like this past weekend. But now we're going to be jumping into those really spring showers and hopefully May flowers sometime soon here as well. So Friday, we're going to be seeing a high of 54 degrees. So things are going to be warming up. Saturday, high of 62, partly cloudy skies. 
And then Sunday and Monday, we're really going to see a lot of warming because we have a lot of warm air uh, just sort of pushing over towards us. And that rain we're actually going to see on Friday is a very, very small low pressure system coming up from the Texas Gulf area. And that's just going to produce some mild showers in the late evening times. But next week's definitely looking like a nice warm week. And I know we're gearing up for spring break. Uh, so that'll be a nice start to go into spring break, nice and warm, ready for whatever adventures await. So I know how you're feeling about next week's weather. Uh, it'll be interesting. I know normally March is kind of like that weather that we had last week and two weeks ago. That's how we start off March. But now it's like we're starting off March with like that April and like you just said the May flowers weather. So that'll be interesting. But how are you feeling about it? I really like rain showers. You know, I mean, we had a really nice one this morning or it was yesterday, actually. It was just like a peaceful rain, kind of warm outside, you know, before all the chaos ensued. Uh, across the state, but it was actually kind of nice and peaceful. And I kind of like that back and forth between like a warm rainy day and then sunshine and blue skies. So I'm kind of looking forward to this week. Uh, I really love spring because then once things start to bloom, I feel like all the greenery looks just like extra vibrant, you know, right after that fresh rain. So I'm really looking forward to it. And especially being at Ohio University, it's definitely more than enough green to look around from the trees to the flowers, the shrubs. So definitely got all of it. For sure. So it'll be a great time to get outside and enjoy all that. Uh, hopefully sometime soon greenery on Sunday and Monday since it'll be nice outside. And then later in the week, we're expecting um, some showers on Wednesday and Thursday again. But those will be uh, very localized showers. We're only seeing a 50% chance of those right now. So that could increase as the week continues and as that system continues to develop. But the best days next week are, again, going to be the beginning of the week. And then we'll still see those consistent temperatures in the 60s and 70s for the rest of the week to really kick us off with a great March. Ohio University basketball has found their stride as the regular season begins to end. Sports director Aiden Crowley breaks down how the teams can capitalize on their last few games. Well, let's start with our men's team first. What can you tell us about their last game? Yeah, Caleb, Tuesday night at the Convo was everything you wanted it to be. A lot of people were hyping up this game against Akron. They had it circled on the calendar. Anytime the top team in the MAC rolls into your building, it's a big deal. But with the way that this team has been playing as of late, it felt even bigger because it felt like Ohio was going out there with something to prove. And they wanted to prove that they are one of the best teams in the MAC. And I think they did it on Tuesday night. They pulled off the 74-67 to comeback upset victory over the Zips. And going into the half, they were down 35-29. Enrique Freeman, who is probably going to be the MAC player of the year, it's his award to lose knocks down a half-court heave to put him up four, and it kind of felt like things were starting to slip away for Ohio, especially early in that second half. They went down 10 at one point in the second half. A timeout was called. It felt like they were on the ropes, and in those moments, you turn to your guy, and for the Bobcats, that's point guard Jalen Hunter. He's been their guy the whole year, and he answered the bell and then some. He went on a 10-0 run by himself, capped off by a transition three that took the top off the combo. The stadium went nuts. The fans went crazy to tie that game. And in that moment, you could just feel the momentum switch. Drop of a hat, and then it was Ohio's game that felt like they were in control. They took the lead, and they never really gave it up. Ali Ali, who is a phenomenal player for the Akron Zips, tried to make things interesting. But in the end, Ohio was able to hold on thanks to really efficient free throw shooting. They were 17 for 20 from the line that's getting it done and especially come MAC tournament play those are the difference in the games it's can you knock down your timely free throws and for Ohio they did Hunter he finished the game with 23 points he was 8 for 14 from the field 4 for 7 
from behind the arc. So a great shooting night for Hunter and for a team that really needed a spark from behind the arc. They only went 25% from behind the line. So their ability to kind of win ugly was really good, especially against a team that is as formidable as this Akron team is. And I want to give just a special shout out to the team defense that Ohio played, holding Enrique Freeman to just 13 points. He came into the contest averaging 18 points a game and only one offensive rebound for Enrique Freeman, a guy who was getting 13 boards a game. They did a phenomenal job. They were triple teaming him, playing really good team defense, and that was the difference in the game. And that win catapulted the Bobcats up to the three seed is where they sit right now with a couple games left on the schedule. That's subject to change depending on results down the stretch. But Ohio is playing its best basketball right now. They haven't lost at home since January 2nd, and they look to close out that home game winning streak on Friday night against the Bowling Green Falcons, and that's their senior night. So guys like Miles Brown, who's been around the program for five years, Jalen Hunter, who transferred in, those guys will walk um, and get their recognition that they deserve. But man, this is a fun team to watch right now, and it feels like they might be the favorites in any game. That's kind of the vibe that they give out every time they step out on the floor. They feel like they're playing with a chip on their shoulder, with a point to prove. And they just keep stacking up wins. And right around the MAC tournament starting is where you want to be playing your best basketball. And certainly Ohio is right now. So let's hope they can end off the season on a good note. But moving from our men's team to our women's team now, what have their most recent games looked like? Yeah, Caleb, this is another team that is kind of starting to come on a little bit in this last three-game stretch. We've been talking about how they've hit a run in that kind of middle end of the season, especially going on that five-game losing streak, it kind of seemed like things were starting to slip away for Bob Bolden and his squad. And how do they respond on Wednesday night, February 21st at the Convo? An upset two-point victory over the second-best team in the MAC, the Kent State Golden Flashes, 79-77. Huge win for this team in their confidence level. That was a massive pickup for this team. Then they went on the road Saturday, February 24th, and dropped a tough game against Buffalo. Again, we've talked about Chella Watson a couple times, and she is phenomenal. She scored another 21 points against the Bobcats. Formidable opponent to try and game plan against. But then they returned back home and took on the Western Michigan Broncos and picked up a very important victory, 67-64. to Kate Dennis knocked down a three with about eight seconds left on the clock for the win. The game-sealing three from Kate Dennis, she finished. Uh, with 12 points herself, four for five from three, so all of her points courtesy of the long ball in that one. But the main thing for the Bobcats and why these wins here that they're stealing, it feels like, are so important is because their last three games on the schedule are against three teams that they've beat previously this season, Central Michigan, Akron, and Miami. And for a team that currently is sitting at that eighth spot, and again, the top eight teams make the MAC tournament, When you have that schedule to close out, you have to feel pretty confident if you're Bob Bolden and his team, especially with the way that they've been playing in this three-game stretch. I know you dropped the one at Buffalo, but the huge Kent State victory and then the emotional win against Western Michigan, it feels like this team is well set up to make the tournament. And then, like we've seen against Ball State, I mean, at a certain point in that game, they held a 17-point lead. So in a one-game situation where it's win or go home, anything's possible. So we'll just see it's a matter of getting there. So they'll have to take care of business in their next matchup 
March 2nd, that's a Saturday, against the Central Michigan Chippewas. They picked up a win earlier in the season, January 24th, 68-58 in that one. And I expect the Bobcats to come out with fire and coming out and really pushing for that eighth spot. You can feel the intensity from this team right now. That's all we have for you this week. Thanks for joining us. The outlet is produced each week by me, Caleb McCleskey. We're edited by Teach Baidia, Aaron Payne, and David Forster. Adam Rich is our technical assistant, and our theme music is performed by Ryan Gabos. Enjoy our show? Tell a friend to give us a listen. They can subscribe to the outlet on SoundCloud or Spotify, as well as Apple Podcasts, or find us online at woub.org. They can also follow us on Twitter at outlet underscore woub and Instagram at newswatch underscore woub. We'll be back next week with more stories from Southeast Ohio.